Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, also open it up to Acts chapter 22. That's where we're going to be this morning. We are coming close to the end of our discussion of the book of Acts, but we will continue through this semester. Uh, Before I dive into the passage, let us pray. Father, we are grateful for a brand new morning, for the beautiful weather. Father, we're grateful that we are moving toward Easter and the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet we also recognize that each Sunday we have that opportunity. We worship today because it was a day like today, a Sunday like this, on which Jesus broke the bonds of death and rose from the dead. Father, I pray as we study your word that you would give us wisdom, understanding, I pray it would not just be words on a page or information in our brains, although those things are significant. Instead, Father, I pray that that information would move into our hearts and into our lives and transform us. Uh, Open up our minds that we would understand. Father, we pray, move in our hearts that we would be free from doubt and fear and rebellion and then empower our hands and feet for your service. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. When I was a kid, maybe, I don't know, six, seven years old, my older brother and I had a favorite babysitter. Maybe some of y'all had a favorite babysitter. Uh, The reason that she was our favorite, I remember her name was Tina. The reason that she was our favorite uh, had nothing to do with what she gave us for dinner or anything along those lines, but instead uh, it was because of the stories that she told us right before we went to bed. Uh, Some babysitters would just quickly read a book. Others, if they were grumpy, wouldn't tell a story at all. They were just ready to get us to bed. Uh, But Tina would create her own Narnia stories for us. Uh, She would make them up out of the blue. And uh, for Dan and me, my older brother and me, uh, this was a dream come true because we loved the Narnia stories. We loved them. And uh, I'm going to admit a little bit of my nerddom as a kid. We actually would pretend that our closet was the wardrobe into Narnia. Narnia. And so we would go in there, we would get behind the clothes, uh, mom and dad would call for us to clean the room, we'd go, shh, shh, right? We're in Narnia. They can't see us, right? They don't know where we are. And we loved that. And so Tina would make up these stories, uh, new stories that she made up, and she would tell them for about 10 or 15 minutes, sometimes even incorporate us into the stories. And then right as she uh, began to move to the next part of the story, she would stop and say, it's time for bed. And we'd go, no, you got to finish. She'd go, no, I'll finish that next time. And in this way, she ensured for herself job security because uh, <laughs> my parents would come home and they go, how was it? We go, you have to have Tina back tomorrow. And they go, did y'all miss us? No, we didn't miss you. You need to have her back again so we can hear the rest of this story. We were so captivated by this story. Maybe uh, there are stories like that in your life that you say, I love this story. I'm gripped by this particular series of books or this particular movie. Some of you, maybe you grew up reading like the Harry Potter books, right? So first movie came out and you got your Hermione costume on and you were out there. You created a wand out of a maple tree in your backyard, right? And you love the story. Uh, For some of you, maybe it is uh, you are just extremely excited about the Star Trek movie that's coming out, right? And you go, I love those stories, right? There's probably a story in your life that has captivated you, that has drawn you in, and you say, I want to read more of it. I wish there was more to read. 
stories hit us emotionally, mentally, even spiritually in a way that propositional truth sometimes does not. Uh, we even use story to share moral principles, don't we? Right? So I could tell my daughters, girls, somebody's appearance does not always indicate their character, right? A person could be a smooth talker, a nice dresser, tall, good looking, and he could still be a louse underneath it all. I could say that, or I can tell the story of the wolf in sheep's clothing that many of you have heard. And you hear that story and you go, I don't want to date a wolf, right? Even if he's got a nice wool sweater. And it pounds that lesson in, in a way that just saying the truth sometimes cannot. The reason I share that principle is because it is true uh, with the gospel as much, probably more, than it is true with the stories that we read in the world around us. As you look throughout the scripture, the gospel itself is a powerful story. It is a story of a God who loved and created mankind, and then we ran away because of sin, and then he moves in to reclaim us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Not only is the gospel a story like that, but if you know Jesus Christ, your life is a story that tells the story of the gospel. Each person in this room has been given a unique place in the kingdom of God for your story to be a powerful reminder of the big story of what God has done for us in Jesus. If you're like me, you may go, my story is really not that exciting. I grew up in a Christian home, became a Christian when I was five. I never had any very dramatic tale of conversion from being a rebel or doing drugs or killing somebody. My story is kind of boring. And yet as we look at the scripture, we see that God has placed each person with your unique gifts in your unique context, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you talk to your friends, as you talk to your family, you're there to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ with the life he's given you, with the experiences that have happened in your life, with your story of moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's why you're there. What we're going to look at in Acts 22 this morning is how Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses his unique story to share the message of Jesus Christ. That's what Acts 22 is. And as you move through the book of Acts, it's interesting. When Paul is called upon to share what he believes, he almost always shares it in terms of this story. In other words, he doesn't just say Jesus died and rose again and you can have eternal life. Although at times he says that propositionally, but often what he does is he says, let me just tell you what Jesus did for me, how I was a sinner. And on the Damascus road, he captivated me with his light and moved me to the place of being a man who lives to share his message. And that's what Paul does. The context of Acts 22, you may not remember from a few weeks ago, Paul had gone to Jerusalem against the advice of many of his fellow Christians because they knew he was going to be arrested, he was going to be persecuted. He goes to Jerusalem, he begins to go into the temple to offer a sacrifice for some fellow Christians who are ending a Nazarite vow, right? He goes in and the Jews see him and because they don't like his message, they accuse him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. They grab him, they begin to beat him up. While they're beating him, the Roman authorities come down, they stop the riot and they arrest Paul and Paul says, let me address the crowd surrounding the temple. 
That's what we have in Acts 22, is Paul's address to this crowd. And what you're going to see is Paul now rehashes the events of Acts chapter 9, and he says, this is what I stand for, because this is who I am in Jesus Christ. That's Acts 22. And what I want us to do as we look at Acts 22 is pull out a few principles about the story of Paul's life that I think are relatable to the story of my life, the story of your life, and to recognize that just like Paul, you were called to use the story of your life for the glory of God. All right, so that's where we're going in Acts chapter 22. We'll start in verse 1 as Paul begins. Actually, I'm going to start in 21, verse 40. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. All right, the first thing we see is this, just like Paul's story, every story is different. Paul begins with his own narrative, who he is. Now, it's significant. He begins to speak, it says, in the Hebrew dialect. This is probably Aramaic, which was the commonly spoken language in the Palestinian region in Israel in that day. Not all of the Jews spoke Aramaic. Uh, Some of them spoke Greek. In fact, those who had grown up in areas outside of Israel, spoke Greek. Well, Paul begins to stand up and he speaks in Aramaic. What does that do right off the bat? It cements in their minds that this guy is really Jewish. And that's a huge part of Paul's story. That his Jewish background and the fact that he believes in Jesus Christ communicates that even a God-fearing Jew can know Jesus. And that's huge in the minds of people who have spent their lives under the law. Not only is he a Jew, he was a Pharisee, one of the most zealous for the law. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was educated under Gamaliel. Gamaliel shows up a couple of times throughout the book of Acts. Gamaliel was one of the greatest teachers of the law, particularly in the first century. In fact, the Mishnah, which is like an ancient commentary on Jewish traditions, says this, Since Rabbi Gamaliel the elder died, there has been no more reverence for the law, and purity and piety died out at the same time. That's how well-respected Gamaliel is. So here's this man. He stands up to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm not some crazy Gentile. I'm not some guy separate from you. I am a Jew born in Tarsus, educated in Jerusalem. I know Hebrew. I was a Pharisee. This is critical in his story. God had placed Paul right there with those people at that time because of the message that he had, because of the life he had lived. If he had not experienced all of those things, he wouldn't have had the credibility to speak the message in the powerful way that he did to those people. You say, well, I'm not Paul, right? I don't have this dramatic testimony. I don't have all of this background. I don't know Hebrew. I have a hard time with Spanish, right? Uh, And you say, that's really not me. 
And as you look through the Bible, it's not just Paul. As you look at all of the apostles, you read about their lives. God sent some of them to India, some of them to Europe, some of them stayed in Jerusalem. And throughout the history of the church, God uses each person's background, experience, skills, and gifts to proclaim his message. Your life will communicate to some people in a way that mine never will, and vice versa. There are different stories for different people. What we're going to see is all of those stories exist to tell the big one, but the details of the story are different. And God intends it that way. Your life and the experiences you have had, God's given those to you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I have three kids. Their ages are three, five, and eight. And uh, each night before bed, we read them stories. Uh, But we read them different stories, right? So for my oldest daughter right now, we are reading The Hobbit. And uh, we are about two-thirds of the way through that. For my middle daughter, uh, we are reading The Little House on the Prairie books. Uh, I've gone through those also with our older daughter. And uh, I would match my Little House knowledge against any man in this room, all right? Uh, we are reading those again. My, my son, who's three, uh, we tend to read lots of books about trucks, and that's what he's into. Now, here's the thing, and, and then when I read for myself, if I read fiction for myself, I love mysteries, right? So I like guys like John Grisham and stuff. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go in to my son at bedtime and read a John Grisham book, right? And then, son, his partners conspired to kill him because of the secret information he had about the attorneys, right? Have a good night, right? And then walk out. Neither am I going to sit in my own chair at night and go, Shannon, red truck, blue truck, right? Each of us has a story that communicates to us. Your life will communicate to some people in a way that mine will not. You say, look, I'm just just an architecture major. I'm just a history major. I'm just some guy from Dallas. Or maybe you came from a whole other country, and you go, I don't even understand fully the culture I'm in. And yet God has placed you here to communicate your story uniquely to those you work with, those who live in your apartment, those who live in your dorm, those you meet in your classes. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has divinely arranged for you to sit in the chair you're sitting in class from the beginning of time? And that the men and women sitting next to you, he has a purpose for you to fulfill in their lives with what you say, with what you do, with the attitudes you take toward your classes and toward the people around you. Every story is uniquely designed to communicate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the grace he offers, even if you think your story is boring. I have to tell you, my own story For many, many years, I felt like some of you may, that, gosh, it was boring. And I would hear these fantastic testimonies and read about Paul's life and go, mine's just not really like that. I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel when I was about five. And I remember trusting in Jesus for eternal life. And I would tell the gospel, but I was always like, yeah, but maybe I have less credibility because I grew up in this church thing. And uh, then I remember I was driving home to my house one day and I had on the radio and I heard this man talking about how he had gone to share the gospel in a prison, hardened inmates, men who had 
stolen and killed and done all sorts of crazy things. And his testimony was kind of like mine. It was one of those, I grew up in a Christian home, great parents, loving parents, and uh, I believe in Jesus because I believe that he died and rose again, and he is the source of life for me. And he told this story to these men. And the next day, one of them reported back to him that he had trusted Jesus as a result of this man's seemingly boring story. And the man goes, I don't get it. What about my story appealed to you? And this hardened prisoner said to him, well, here's the thing. Everybody else who comes in here, they've got these crazy dramatic stories. They were on drugs. They were in prison. They were at the bottom. And then they turned to Jesus. But you came in and you said, I had everything. Parents who loved me. I had a house that was secure. I knew Jesus from when I was little. I never worried or wanted for anything. And yet you said you still needed Jesus. And I thought, if he needs Jesus, when he's been given everything, surely I do as well. God will use your story to communicate in ways that mine can't and nobody else's can. Every story is different. Because God intends it that way. Interestingly, though, every story is the same as well. Look at verses 6 through 11. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go on into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came in to Damascus. Now, it may surprise you that I use those verses to communicate this point. Every story is the same, because you go... Uh, I've, I've never had that sort of dramatic revelation of God. Uh, that's uniquely Paul. The reason I use these verses and talk about this point is because I think there's something else that it's easy to miss from this passage, and that is the story of Paul's life is not the story of Paul's life. It's the story of Jesus. And although your details of your life are different from mine, if you know Jesus Christ, it's Jesus' story. And in fact, as you walk through Paul's writings, and as you read through what he writes, you're going to see that consistently Paul points back to the fact that he's found in Jesus Christ. All of his significance, all of his worth, all of his experiences have value because they're found in Jesus Christ. Every story, ultimately, is the story that in Jesus Christ, we've been saved from sin, we've been saved from death, brought back to life through the power of his Holy Spirit. And we'll see in a moment now commissioned to do his will. Some of you probably love uh, watching romantic comedies, right? You love all the different actors and characters. And here's the thing I've noticed over the years that maybe you've noticed. All of them are the same, right? They're all basically the same story. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Some of them have Matthew McConaughey. Some of them have Colin Firth, right? Some of them have Ryan Philippe. And I go, no, that's not the point. They are all the same. Well, some of them are set in Chicago and some in Boston. Yeah, but they're all the same, right? And I'll tell you how. Here's what happens. Boy meets girl. They're attracted to each other, right? Because they're famous actors, both incredibly good looking. They like each other. (laughs) Right away, there's an attraction, but somebody has a secret, right? So uh, like while you were sleeping, 
Sandra Bullock's secret is that uh, she's not really engaged to Bill Pullman or Paxton, whichever one, uh, his brother in a coma, right? And that's her secret. And that secret separates them, pulls them apart, right? You've got mail. The secret is that her pin pal, whom she loves, also is the owner of the hated shop that put her out of business, right? There's some sort of secret or some sort of problem that separates them. And the rest of the movie is about how they get back together, right? So the guy usually... The movie ends with the guy running through the city or driving through the city at the last minute to catch her right before she gets on an airplane to fly off to Australia for the rest of her life. And although they've both been incredible jerks to each other, they turn and they look at each other and tears fill up their eyes and they go, I love you forever and ever and I don't know why, but you're just so good looking, right? And they get back together. That's the story of every romantic comedy. It's the same. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl again, and they go off into the sunset happily ever after. That's it. And when it doesn't play out that way, right? Maybe they break up at the end. You go, what in the world? I just spent like 15 bucks on this thing, right? The story is meant to be the same. Every story of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, every life, if you know Jesus Christ, is that story. God made you. He loves you. He wants to be with you forever. But you sin. I sinned. We're broken apart. And God moves in to gather his people up again. And the way he does it is by giving his son. He goes to great lengths. That's the scene in the movie where we see God chasing us down. Son dies, rises again, and draws us back to him through the grace of God and the power of his spirit. That's every story. That's Paul's story. That's my story. If you know Jesus this morning, that's your story. And so your story is not insignificant because it's ultimately the story of Jesus Christ. If you know him this morning, the spirit of God that lives in you is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You have the life of God beating in your chest. That's what makes your story significant. It's also a story of moving from darkness into light. The book of Colossians chapter 1, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the message of the gospel. You've been rescued. I've been rescued. Whether it happened when you were five, whether it happened yesterday, every story is the story of Jesus Christ that we are called to proclaim. And so we use our story to point to his story. That's what Paul does, by the way. Philippians 3, you see Paul list out this long pedigree. Same way he does here. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was zealous about the law. I even persecuted Christians. I did all of these things. But ultimately, I set all of that pedigree aside because what I want is for my life to be a testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection 
from the dead. In other words, Paul says this, everything I'm about is because of Jesus. And you say, well, how does that play into my life, into my story? And it's simply this, whatever your education, whatever your family background, whenever you trusted Jesus, you say, every experience, every moment in my life is God telling the story of my life so I can share it with others. So that in the way that I talk to people, in the words that I say, in the things that I do, I proclaim the message of Jesus. It's his message, his story. And God has called you and each of us in this room to proclaim that message. And the great thing is, is that as we go out into the world, you go to places that I don't go. I go to places you don't go. You move into relational spheres that are not the same as the person sitting next to you or the person across from you. And you, in your position, in your place, tell of who Jesus is. So it's not about your career, and it's not about your major, and it's not even about whether you trusted Jesus many years ago or yesterday. What it is about is how can I, where God has called me, be a part of the Great Commission, that he wants men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to know him and to worship him. That's what you're called to. It's the mission of your life. So every story is different because God has written your story uniquely. Every story is the same because it's ultimately the story of Jesus Christ. But there's a third part, and that is that every story is ultimately a commission. Every story is ultimately a commission. Look at verse 12 and forward. A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time, I looked up at him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul tells this story, and right at the end of this story, he explains how Ananias, this pious Jew, came and said, Paul, God has shown you who he is so that you can do this. Go out and share the message far and wide. And then Jesus himself appears to Paul again and says, Paul, God has shown you this message so that I can send you far away to the Gentiles. Your story is not just a story. It's not just a nice little tale about what God has done, but instead it commissions you to a task, and that is to share the gospel. The best stories are not simply fictional tales that make you go, wow, that was really neat. But instead, they communicate to you something about who you are, what you ought to be. Uh, Years ago, uh, Shannon and I watched a documentary. It was called Super Size Me. Some of you guys may have seen this uh, movie. Super Size Me is essentially a story about a guy who spends 30 days eating nothing but McDonald's. 
and what happens to his body as a result. And as you watch the movie, you see his body quickly deteriorate from eating this terrible food day in and day out, right? And at the end of the movie, he says, wow, if it did that to me in 30 days, eating it all the time, what could it do to you in 30 years if you eat it three or four times a week? Now, nowhere in the movie does he say, so stop eating it. He doesn't have to, right? That's implied. And you have an emotional, visceral reaction to go, I don't want to eat that anymore, right? And it changes the way you act. The gospel says Jesus died and rose again. And it's an absolutely free gift. God loves you that much that he gave you eternal life through his son as an absolutely free gift. And if you're listening, that motivates you to come before him and say, I need salvation. I need eternal life. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I need you. And then to live my life day after day after day as a response to God's grace. Not because I think I can earn something, but because I look at Jesus Christ and I say what he has done is called me to trust in him. As you share the gospel, as you go out into your community, that's what your life is intended to do. To draw people to Jesus Christ. To say, I need that. Because I know I'm not enough. And it's not just people who feel that they're at the end of their rope, who are in jail or on drugs or failing out of school who need Jesus. It's everybody. And some may look at your life or a life like mine and say, yeah, this guy was pretty good, but he still needed Jesus. Why? Others may look at you and they say, wow, you rebelled against God for years and years, and yet God got a hold of your life and he's transformed it. What happened? The Spirit of God lives in me and has saved me from sin and has called me to new life. And now he's calling you to believe in Jesus Christ. Your story is a commission. Now, what I love about this is the people who heard Paul's story were not neutral. They could not be neutral. Look at verses 22 to 30. They listened to him up to this statement, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting against him that way. But when they had stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman. The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. Therefore, those who were about to examine him immediately let go of him, and the commander also was afraid when he found out that he was a Roman and because he had put him in chains. But on the next day, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. All right, so when Paul preaches this message, right when he gets to the word Gentiles, people go, kill him, because we do not associate with the Gentiles. They listen to him right up to that word. And what happens is they recognize that if Paul is telling the truth, then God is calling men and women not only from among the Jews, but the Messiah is going out to the Gentiles as well. That the grace of God is that big. 
And so they say, we got to get rid of this guy because he threatens our status. He threatens our way of life. He threatens our self-righteousness. Kill him. And in this instance, fortunately, Paul's Roman citizenship that he'd had since he was a child saves him. Another part of his story. Paul's able to continue going through the Roman world, sharing the gospel because of the family he was born into. It protected him until the time that God said it's time to go. They couldn't stay neutral. And as you read through the book of Acts, as we have, you see that the message always provokes a response. It is inherently a commission to reflect on what Jesus has done and determine where you stand. I have to ask myself sometimes if my life and my words could be viewed in a neutral light. When people see me, do they have to reckon with the person of Jesus Christ? Or do they see my life and say, nice guy, I don't see anything special. And I hope if they see something special, what they see is the power of God in my life. With what you say and what you do as you follow Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit, do people come face to face with him? Do you live in such a way that people have to respond to Jesus as you go to class, as you go to work? And as you share, it's what Paul did. And it's what spread the gospel throughout the ancient world. It's also what got him killed. Because the gospel in his life acted as a commission and required a response. Will you trust in Jesus or will you reject him? And that's what I want my life to do. That's my prayer for your life as well. That as you go through college, as you graduate, as you have a family one day, As you enter a career, each day, people come face to face with Jesus because you are so connected with him, in dependence upon him, that the words you say are infused with his grace, that the words you say are motivated and empowered by his spirit and drawn from his word. And the things you do reflect the fact that God in Jesus Christ will one day return, establish his kingdom and draw men and women who know him to a perfect world where we'll worship him forever. That's what we want our lives to be. So as we close, just a few quick thoughts. Your life is a story of God's grace. Your life is a story of God's grace. Even if you feel that you're just an average person with an average story that nobody would care about, your life is a story of God's grace because if you know Jesus Christ, he lives in you. And so we're called to tell that story with our actions and our words. I'm all for what we call lifestyle evangelism. You say, I want to be kind to people. I want to be loving to people. I want to tell the truth. I want to be honest. And that's all good. But apart from the message of the gospel, it's just morality. It's just being a nice guy. And the reality is that what moves and motivates our life ought to be the fact that the Spirit of God lives in us and we do what we do because Jesus empowers us to do it and because we're proclaiming that Jesus died and rose again so that as people see our lives, we proclaim Jesus Christ. And we proclaim it with our words as well. So people have an opportunity to respond to who he is. You tell the story with your actions and with your words and then pray for an opportunity to speak. I'd encourage you this week, think about the spheres of influence in your life. Your close friends, classmates, maybe your family, those who live near you in your apartment or your dorm. 
there's probably somebody in there that you say, they need to know my story because it's the story of Jesus Christ. And will you pray today, tomorrow, each day this week? Just encourage you, pray for an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ with somebody who needs to hear, to tell your story of how you're separated from God because of sin. In Jesus Christ, he offered eternal life. And you believe and have confidence and security and a relationship with him. Pray for that opportunity. When you pray for that opportunity, God will respond because he wants your life to speak his message. So as we close, we're going to close in a few songs. As we sing the glory of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, and as you look at the words on the screen, absorb this, that your life tells this big story, the one we sing about, and ask God if he will give you the opportunity this week, this month, this year, to share your story with those who need to hear. So the message will go to all nations in the name of Jesus Christ.